Thanks for tuning in to The Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. We have a very special show and guest today. David Butler is joining me today. And he has quite the background that I'm excited to tap into and to learn from him. David has over 30 years of leadership consulting and enterprise growth experience. His international business portfolio is quite impressive. He is the founder of Spanvest, an organization focused on helping companies get and keep people motivated and enthusiastic, even when things are constantly changing. And we have experienced lots of change recently. He's been in top positions for renowned organizations such as Franklin Covey, Brian Tracy International, and is a certified global leadership coach, stakeholder leadership coach, and a certified partner for Everything Disc. David received a Master in International Management from Thunderbird Global School of Business and an MBA from Esade Business School from Spain. It is my sincere pleasure to sit down with such a qualified and stellar human being. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Neil. I'm so excited to be with you today. We got a lot to talk about. The bio that I read off was just scratching the surface. And we looked over your professional bio, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there anything in the personal side you want our listeners to know about you outside of the career realm? Yeah. And in fact, far more important than any endeavor or accomplishment career-wise is the fact that I've been married to Christine, my wife, for 37 years. We have five children from ages 33 to 13. The 13-year-old is still at home, and we have four grandchildren. And we live here in the beautiful mountains in Salt, uh, an hour south of Salt Lake City, Salem, Utah, and, and love and life. That is awesome. Those are the important things. So thank you so much uh, for hopping on. I, I was like exploding with so many questions. This is a topic, everything we're talking about today is something I'm very passionate about personally and engagement, motivation, strategy. These are all things that, you know, whether it's your career or in your daily life, it's really important that we are addressing these topics. We're going to cover a lot of stuff from the professional perspective, but all of this applies, whether it's you in your personal life, in a relationship, there's so much application for what we're going to discuss. And I'm really excited to dive into that. Misalignment is a big issue we face in organizations. And what I want to ask you is how can one accept and build and get alignment between employees and leadership when there is that misalignment taking place? Yeah, that's a great question, Neil. And The first question behind the question is what's out of alignment in an organization? What what could be going on that could be creating a mediocre or poor culture? And it really comes down, the short answer is governing values. The organization has a set of values, whether they are conscious and aware of them or not. Every organization has uh, ground rules or or values that, that motivate and drive them. It could be loyalty. It could be market dominance. It could be something a bit more altruistic, as in saving 
people time or improving the environment, etc. But the alignment issue comes down to when there's a problem, the problem being maybe poor engagement or poor culture. The problem is the values of the organization are not the same as the values of the individual team member or employee. And so realizing that that's what's out of alignment is values between individuals and between the organization. Before we talk about a cure, before we talk about a solution, which I focus on with uh, client organizations that I work with, we need to understand what's going on. And business decision makers today are not always conscious of this misalignment that, that we're talking about between the company's values and the individual's values. Most business leaders, decision makers, are either tech-centric or financial-centric or science-centric or something. That's their focus. They pay lip service about being people-centric, people-focused, but it doesn't always get implemented. And so many business leaders are reactive, so they're largely unaware of the high opportunity cost of a poor business culture or a mediocre business culture, a culture that just kind of comes about out of reactive business practices. And the question really is, will they, if they become aware of uh, this misalignment, will they have the courage to make some tough decisions? And those tough decisions usually are about people. In order to have alignment, in order to be surrounded by team members who share your vision and your goals, you have to deal with perhaps some tough decisions. It's never been more important to care about people's inter internal feelings, not just what they can produce with their hands and their minds, but their internal feelings, what motivates them, what incentivizes them. We're now in an era where emotional intelligence is the single most important trait or skill. Skills through technology growth will continue on a daily basis to be commoditized. But your emotional capabilities to interact with others will become your most important trade or skill. And so companies should sit down with or find ways to audit every single team member, employee, and figure out which people make other people more successful, more productive, and which people make other people miserable because cancer spreads. And with the cancer of Typical politics comes lack of speed and your company will get much slower because people are thinking about how miserable they are or worried about having to work with certain individuals. In fact, attrition or turnover is a huge problem for companies. And every company has a certain level of turnover, people who are, are constantly looking for something else. But your best, most productive employees, when you lose them, especially when you when it hits you unexpectedly, it's very costly. And the reason why people leave good companies, uh, good people leave good companies is because at some point they look around and realize they're giving their heart and soul and doing most of the work, but the rewards are the same for, for everybody else. And so they seek employment or opportunities elsewhere where they may be more valued and appreciated. So knowing that, Let's say that you have the ability to go through and find the negativity, the cancer, if you will, that cripples culture and are able to reduce that to a minimum. Then 
once you're surrounded by people who share and feel aligned with your vision, your company vision, there are some things you could do now to build a great culture, one that endures. And that's there's some ideas I have around that if you'd like to hear those. Yeah, well, and I just want to touch on one thing that you mentioned here. I love that you brought in, first off, you have to be aware, right? You have to be aware of where the employee's at. You have to be present and in the moment enough to really evaluate where they are at. Because if you're not paying attention, you won't even realize, as you mentioned, that there is that misalignment happening. Identifying the misalignment is only the first step. And so then at that point, once you've been present, you've communicated or at least let that employee be heard, then comes the the part where you need to get aligned, right? And I, I love your philosophy around this. And I'd love for you to to talk about alignment interviews and those one, one-on-ones and really how to get that alignment. Yeah, I appreciate that question. In fact, when a company or, or leadership becomes aware of an alignment problem and they are, are courageous enough to correct those sources of misalignment, then there's a couple of things you can do going forward that will really make your culture blossom and grow into a, a very attractive place for people to work and, and be a part of. And there are two types of conversations or two interviews that I talk about. You mentioned the alignment interviews. That's something I came up with years ago when I was working with executives. It's important to understand your people and to meet with your people and have interviews, performance interviews, et cetera. But typically a company, even the best companies, treat that as something to check off a list and they do year-end feedback and performance interviews and give some kind of a score and then everybody goes back to doing what they were doing before. And it's really an ineffective way. I like to talk about alignment interviews, but I also like to talk about what I call KYP interviews or conversations. These are two two different tools, the alignment interview and the KYP interview. And the alignment interview is really about helping people to, there's three things basically you do in an alignment interview. Alignment interview is a regularly scheduled formal one-on-one meeting with your direct report. And it should happen at least monthly, if not more frequently where you sit down with them and they know that you're going to sit down and talk about expectations and feedback. So let's say that you're my supervisor and we sit down, you would literally have your computer out and you would have notes from our last conversation. And you would say, okay, Dave, let's talk about the expectations for your role as a manager or as a salesperson or as an accountant. And here are the expectations for the role. And each time I hear those from you, from your own words, to my ears, it becomes very clear. I don't have to guess what's in your head. I know what's expected. So you've clarified expectations for me. That's very powerful. You'd be surprised how many people are suffering because they don't know what's in their boss's head and their boss seems to change all the time, you know, what they're they're looking for and wanting. So that's number one, clarify expectations of the role. Number two is to provide candid feedback on performance. And you might do that by saying, hey, Dave, these are the six things that that your role should be effectively executing or producing or completing on a regular basis. You're doing a great job on you know, the first five, but the sixth one, I would like you to do it a little different. Here's some candid feedback for you on how you could 
do it. And so you make it clear again at what your expectation is, but you're giving me feedback on five things that you like and then five things that are one thing I might do differently. So that's the, the feedback part. And then the third is, and this is the most important of all, is to ask, how can I help in a very sincere way? How can I help you to achieve these expectations, to succeed, to reach your fullest potential here at our company? And be very sincere and very genuine. And the moment you do that, my guard goes down. The language goes from being uh, closed and guarded to open and win-win and innovative between us. Because now I honestly feel like you care enough about me to ask how you can help me succeed. And so that's kind of how you win the hearts. And you do that on a regular, formal basis. On an informal basis, there's a second conversation that needs to be taking place. And this is where I think companies really drop the ball, especially leaders who have larger teams because they feel like they can't get around everybody. But I call them KYP conversations. They're not formal interviews. They're not scheduled. It's where you stop me in the parking lot. We're coming back from lunch. And as we're walking in, you take a few minutes and you ask me about me. KYP stands for know your people. Most bosses really don't know their people. They feel like there needs to be this separation between work life and personal life. And so they don't want to dig into someone's personal life. And it's not about digging in or prying to someone's personal life. It's about knowing them on a much deeper level than is expected or, or normal. I think it was Harvey McKay is an author back in the 80s, Beware of the Man, that the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt or something like that. But he talked about in his paper company, all of his people, they had this database where they had 80 data points on every single prospect or customer that they had to go out and, and find and get and do detective work. So they really knew their prospects and their customers and their families and their birthdays and their weddings and their anniversaries and all the details of their lives so they could better serve those customers and, and that's the spirit of this is to know your people. And so there's a seven step uh, process that I learned from a great author, Marshall Goldsmith, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. He's the author of 30 books, but he wrote a book that I really like that basically is titled What Got You Here Won't Get You There. All the habits, all the good decisions you've made up until now are great, but they're not going to get you to the next level in your career or in your relationship at home. You need to do something different because you've achieved this level of success because of your good habits, but also in spite of some of your bad habits. And so he came up with these seven questions, and this is how someone can really win the heart of a team member, whether it's your boss, whether it's your peer, whether it's your employee. And, and it's simply these seven questions. Number one is to ask good questions have power. And, they, and if you're committed to becoming more successful, you'll be willing to ask good questions, both for the benefit of that individual, but also for your own benefit. And so asking questions and listening is number two, listening to understand, not to respond, not to defend, but rather openly accepting others' opinions as their perception of reality, whether you agree with it or not. So ask, listen, and then the third step in these informal conversations is to thank them. Thank them for caring enough to share with you their feelings because when someone answers a question, they're giving you the gift of their feedback and their suggestions. And genuine commitment to, to improve on your part is shown by expressing appreciation for 
um, to help others provide you with. So it's ask, listen, think is the third. And fourth is to actually think. Now, I'm a talker, and so I tend to respond quickly unless I'm conscious about it. And so the fourth step after you ask, listen, and, and thank the person is to think, be thoughtful. It's a valuable way to be seen when it comes to hearing what others have to say. And also taking the time to think helps you not to overcommit and, and then later under deliver on your promises. So ask, listen, think and think. And then next is to respond. When others have taken the risk and the time to give you their input, they deserve to know what you plan to do about it or what you think about it. And so when when responding, and this goes back to the, the alignment interviews, when I've asked you, how can I help you? And you say, well, I, I need a new computer at my desk. Maybe that's something that would help you be more productive and reach your goals. Then I need to respond either now or later. Honestly, yes, we can do that. Or no, we can't do that. We have to wait until the third quarter budget or whatever the answer is. But be honest with your response. But people deserve a response. That's the fifth. And the sixth is change. So ask, listen, think, respond, and then change. If you agreed to behave a different way or to do something, or to go get something, actively work on what you committed to. It builds trust faster than anything else. It's the heart and soul of trust is making and keeping promises and commitments. And then finally, the last step in, in these KYP informal conversations that you should be having on a continuous basis with everybody in your team is follow up with people. This is the most important of the seven step uh, process in KYP conversation, it shows how much you care when you follow up and it reinforces that the relationship is valuable to you. It matters to you. This is all such good stuff you're sharing. So thank you so much for this. I think step seven is so important. And honestly, in my time in corporate America, I saw the ball dropped a lot on seven. And it's so interesting because those in leadership or management, sometimes we're good at asking the questions. We even listen and we thank, and we might even respond or make efforts to change. I think a lot of people probably stop there as well and may not make the effort to respond to the feedback, but that follow-up piece is really key. And I think in a lot of organizations where feedback is solicited, but then nothing is done with that feedback, it's really damaging to the culture and to the engagement. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, it's really the hinge of the big door. You do all this work to hang the door, but you don't put the pin in it so that it opens and shuts consistently over time for oh, effective so entrance you know, and, and exits. And when you do follow up people, it blows their minds sometimes. It's like, wow, you have actually made a change. It takes time and consistent behavior for people to notice that you as a leader are improving, are making the effort to change and get better. But that's, it's the old principle of you do all this work and then at the 11th hour, you kind of bail. If you were just to work one more hour, all kinds of wonderful things would come about as a result. But we often do that. And, and this follow-up, you make a good point. It really shows people that you have changed and are committed to improving. So much good stuff that you shared there. I just want to revisit and make sure we're highlighting some good things here because that 
the asking, how can I help? Here on the Happiness Playbook, we talk about this principle of look outward and how important that is in building relationships and just overall well-being and happiness. But the impact that one question has, and I love that you bring that in to these alignment interviews, is astronomical. And not only does it humanize the experience, but as you said, it actually lets the guard down of the individual. And for a manager or leader to to sincerely, and that's important too, right? To be authentic, but to ask, how can I help with the intentions to follow all those steps and and actually make the changes? That letting that guard down and, and humanizing that interaction, whether this is a professional setting or whether this is with your spouse or even your children, I think this concept is so powerful. And we call it look outward, but whatever you call it, it's that focus on the individual and that service. And if that's not authentically in place for the interactions you're having, and again, whether that's in your career or at home or with friends or colleagues, then the walls are going to go up and you're not going to be able to develop the relationship at the deeper level that we want to. And so I'm really grateful that you brought that in. Yeah, it really does. Communication typically tends to stay on a very superficial level at work. And sometimes even at home, you could be married to somebody for for 15 or 20 years and never have reached the depth of communication and understanding that you or the other person wants. It's interesting. Think about this. Every job you've ever worked at, when you first went there, even if it was just to pay for college or some basic job, you were hoping that you would be able to bring your talents and, and your skills to bear and contribute and make a contribution. You wanted to help the you wanted to reach your potential in that position in that role the company on the other hand when they hired you they were hoping that hey geez we hope neil is a good fit for our organization we hope he gets along with people we hope that he lifts the the environment the atmosphere the happiness here to at our business and uh, and so both sides are really wanting the same thing but what happens is we get stretched then and get busy and we lose sight of that and we all just kind of migrate or gravitate back to our comfort zones and kind of put our nose down and look for greener pastures eventually. And the same thing can happen in a relationship at home. You're right with our teenage children or our spouses or, or other meaningful relationships in our lives. So this is really good stuff for now, our life. For life in general. And I'm curious now, is there any unique application if we were talking about your family, spouse, children, for conversations or maybe principles in this in this realm that you've implemented as a father or husband that we could dive a little deeper into? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been for the past 30 years working with goal setting and visioning and trying to achieve and accomplish my, my loftiest dreams and teaching literally thousands of other people ways they can do it, some ideas. On January 3rd, so four, four or five days ago, I was in a hotel. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And so I got out my journal and the thoughts that came to me was a new way to approach how I plan for my time and my goals and my relationships. And whether you are trying to improve your business, your career, or your personal life, a marriage, a relationship with with a child, simply around that topic, ask yourself this basic question, but important question. What story do I want to tell? 
And in that moment, I thought at the end of 2021, and I'm looking back, what story will I want to tell about my business or about my relationship with, with my wife? And so as the new year rolls forward, I'm like everybody else, even though I know about resolutions and goals, I ask myself, will 2021 be better than or worse than 2020? And so I wrote down some goals and, and you know, I had already written down some goals and some resolutions two days before that. And I had good intentions to achieve them. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm also wondering, why bother? 2021 may not be any better than 2020. And, and isn't it out of my control anyway? And I kind of fell into that trap of uh, <laughs> I'm a victim of circumstances. And the reality is we're never a product of our circumstances. We're only a product of our choices. So rather than starting with goals and re resolutions, I decided to ask myself, what story do I want to tell at the end of 2021? And I know that story will be the sum result of all the choices and decisions, the small and simple things that I make along the way. And when 2021 is behind me, the story I tell will only be about my choices. The same is true with our lives, Neil. The rest of our lives is a story waiting to be written, and we will create that story one decision, one choice at a time. And so when we're faced with setbacks or we lose the emotion, because looking at this as what story do I want to tell, takes the emotion out of it. When I try to set goals, I'm thinking, oh, my health, my wealth, you know, my, my intellectual, my spiritual, all those different things, those categories. And you get emotional about it, and then you lose that by February 12th. But if you look at it, what story do I want to tell about this part of my life, my health, my wealth, my relationships, takes the emotion out of it. And when we're faced with obstacles or setbacks during the year or during the quarter, we'll make decisions about how we will respond to those setbacks. And those decisions in retrospect will be our story, the story we tell someday. So that's just the question. What story do you want to tell about how you operated as a business owner in 2021. What story do you want to tell as you think about what you did with your health in 2021? It's a form of proactive positioning for success and, it, and it's beginning with the end in mind. Oh, that is so powerful. And I am so glad that I asked that question to get that response out of you because that there, there's so many things I love about that. And the choices we make those really are what's getting inscribed into our history book of life. And so I love that question. And, and as you mentioned, taking the emotion away and so that we can just really get clear about what actions do we need to take. And again, applying this to, to be present, the more anxious we are about the future or the more we're dwelling on our past mistakes and regretting things that have happened, the more it's taking us out of the moment. And action happens in the moment. Choices are made in the moment. And so it's so important that we are being being present with our lives and, and not getting so caught up in the anxiety of the future, regret of the past, and uh, making those choices that we're going to be excited to tell stories about. And so thank you so much for sharing that beautiful golden nugget with us. And that is something I, I definitely will be implementing. Now for our next question, I want you to kind of, I'm putting you on the spot, but this is something you do all the time. So I want you to coach me a little bit because I had an ex an experience in corporate America. And we've talked about this before, but I went in out of grad school into a fortune 100 company, great company, but you know, we're talking about misalignment. 
I'm curious what your thoughts are about just these deeper misalignments that the organization is inherently something that doesn't align with my core values. How much of that can be remediated between these alignment interviews or efforts from both parties to come together? And at what point do you just need to, and this was the decision I ultimately made was to leave the company and kind of go out on my own and create purpose-driven career and profession that more closely aligned with what I wanted to do. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. And congratulations to you because it took courage for you to do that. Most of us We really are reactive beings as humans, and we tend to seek safety and comfort, acceptance, and a lot of the things that feel good. But you've heard the saying, there's no growth in comfort and there's no comfort in growth. It takes pain to gain. (laughs) So, So kind of to address that, how can you or I or even great corporate leaders, when I coach people, one of the things that I, I try to help them become aware of is is the difference between being a firefighter and being an innovator. And then I try to help them transition from being a firefighter to becoming an innovator in every aspect of their work and personal life. And so when I do executive coaching, and I'm getting ready to start a whole round of trainings and coachings with some clients, and when I, when I coach people, I talk about this and they say, well, what do you mean firefighter? And I said, well, think about areas in your life where you are reacting, where you use habits that you've developed to react to situations. And then think of areas in your life where you're more proactive, you're innovative, you're, fu- you're forward thinking or futuristic. And, and so we start to come up with an action plan for their role at work and also for their you know, roles in their personal life, so they, they become more deliberate, more proactive, and that they develop habits. In order to develop these good, proactive, deliberate habits, they need to be aware of and be willing and choose to replace the reactive habits in their lives. And so it's just, it's continuously, if you're a firefighter by nature, most of us are because we went through the university system. Most of us, you know, got our college degrees by learning to cram for the exam and be really good test takers. But then when we got into life, the experience was good. Our education was good, but we literally had to relearn and learn a lot of new things to survive and to thrive. And so society, our system is good. It's one of the best probably around, but it does train us to be firefighters, reactive entities. And so if we're continuously functioning in a reactionary mode, how do we change that? And innovating is more proactive, involves developing a deeper understanding of our values, our goals, and then deliberately executing on them. That is so good. And I think I, I love that you talk about getting clear about the outcome we want, because without that vision and you know purpose or goal, that without that direction, then it's hard to know what you should say no to and hard to really move the needle in the the ways that are important. And so I know you kind of already talked about this, but I'm just curious if you have any other thoughts about making that transition from firefighter to innovator and maybe some of the biggest culprits that make that transition hard. 
Yeah, going back to what I was saying earlier, when I woke up on January 3rd and I had this really cool question in my head, but then I thought, well, why should 2021 be any better? And I kind of went into reactionary mode just for a few moments. It's very normal for us to do that. And and what it normally takes or what it typically takes for you or for someone to snap out of it, to snap out of that fog of reaction, of being reactive in a firefighter is some kind of a catastrophe or, or a very bad thing to happen in our lives. And and then it causes us to go deep and to reflect about what matters most. And, and then we gain the ability to start saying heck no to a lot of things. I've talked to people that I know that have, that have had COVID. I have a client, a CEO of a company who had COVID. He's in his early 50s and it really just took him down, slammed him down. And for about eight weeks, it wasn't just a short thing. His kids got it too, but they snapped out of it in a few days. And uh, during that time, he was really struggling with his health and also it affected his emotions and some of his judgment. And talking to him the other day about it, and he had hope that he could get better and survive it. And then when he did, he says, today, I say no to a lot more things and yes to a lot less things. And I really am trying to live my life in alignment with what I value most, what I feel is my purpose in life. And I had that experience, too. Fortunately, I had that in my mid-20s where a friend of mine, a very close relative and friend, took his own life. And it shook me. It caused me to reflect deeply and say and pivot. And I almost thought I need to leave my career and my current job. But then I realized that that wasn't the answer was to never do anything again that didn't align with what I had discovered were my deepest governing values. And I haven't been perfect. Like you said, I still make mistakes. And if you learn a lesson in life, you don't make those mistakes. But oftentimes I repeat, (laughs) I need to relearn (laughs) lessons over and over. And if you don't learn the lesson, you keep getting the lesson. So, yeah. Well, and that's awesome what you're sharing here because I would call those wake-up calls, right? Sometimes we're kind of slumbering through life. We're kind of sleepwalking our way through our careers and even our personal life and kind of just going down the, floating down the stream with the current. But then you have these close calls where maybe your health is challenged or a loved one passes away or like you you shared your experience, really challenging. And it it makes you pause and really evaluate something I've done actually recently with a, a coaching client I'm working with is we simulated a wake up call through a series of questions and we a lot of people do this without even realizing it but we'll say steve jobs used to ask himself every morning if this were the last day i were alive would i want to be doing what i'm about to go do that's mm-hmm. a way to simulate almost kind of a wake up call and to kind of feel that emotion of wow what if this were my last day or, or week on earth what would i do with it and to but again so that you can get really crystal clear on what's important and what your purpose and goals are. So very powerful stuff. Well, David, this has been so, so full of content. I'm not going to be able to cut out anything in post-production because this is all so good. I'm very grateful for your time And we have one question we ask all of our guests on the happiness playbook. We always share a pro tip, which is a tangible way to apply a principle. 
And I'm just curious for our listeners, we've talked about a lot of tips that people can apply and take their lives to the next level. But what's one last tip you would leave or would like to share with our listeners for them to level up their happiness and well-being? Awesome. Thank you for that question. I apologize if I give too much information, but I'm passionate about life and what I'm doing. Almost my entire career, what I've come to the conclusion is that ultimately behind every goal, every objective, whether it's a business or whether it's a personal life goal or objective, what people are ultimately seeking is happiness. And so it's very appropriate that you are promoting happiness with your business and with your happiness playbook. And so knowing that, it's been very helpful to me when I have worked with organizations, large and small, because you're always ultimately working with individuals. What are some things that people can do that bring happiness? I have often done an exercise in a class where I said, scream out, what are the symbols of happiness for you? And I write them on the board as quickly as I can. And we'll get money, love, romance, health, Maseratis, private jet, (laughs) all these different things that symbolize happiness. And then we go back through each one and I ask them, does this guarantee you happiness if you had this? And in every case, whether it's health or or wealth or, or intelligence, whatever, love, romance, none of those guarantee happiness because there can always be another circumstance that will thwart that one. And so the the lesson here is where does happiness really come from? And it comes from within, right? But I uh, recently posted a a LinkedIn article where I said, where I shared daily choices that bring happiness for me. And I came up with seven quick things. I won't elaborate on them. I'll just say them. The first and foremost thing that brings happiness for me is when I serve others. Second thing that brings happiness to me is to get regular exercise, to move. The third thing that brings me happiness is when I consciously am grateful and think about what I'm grateful for, gratitude. The fourth thing is, you said it earlier, is to do my best to live in the moment because I can't change the past and I can't live in the future. I can only live in the now. So that's fourth, live in the moment. And fifth is realize that success is not happiness. When I have more money, I'm not. I'm no more happy than when I have less money. In fact, sometimes I'm more conscious of what brings me happiness when I have less. And sixth is to surround yourself with positive people. As painful as it is, needs to invite people who are not aligned to get aligned or to find other opportunities. And that sounds cold, but you have to align yourself or surround yourself with positive people. And, and finally, the last thing on being happy is just make the choice to be happy. It's a choice. Happiness is a choice. Wow. Those are awesome tips. And for our pro tip this week, we want you to go through this list of seven tips to be happy and just pick one for the week to really double down on and incorporate into your life. I know all of these things I can attest to are, are very great steps to take to enhance your happiness and well-being. And it does, it's a choice and it's a skill and it takes practice. And so you have to develop these things to level up 
David, I cannot thank you enough. This was amazing. I I hope maybe later down the road we can have you back to dive deeper into other stuff. If people want to connect with you, support you, find you, where do they go to do that? Well, I would love to connect with people for any reason. And they could reach David at spanvest.com or just dial me 801-709-3280. That is awesome. Thank you so much for your generosity and for joining us on the Happiness Playbook. Wow, so many nuggets on today's show. I'm so grateful for David Butler for coming on and sharing all of that wisdom with us. Remember this week to practice the skill of happiness and decide to be happy and ask yourself, what story do I want to tell about my life? Thanks for tuning in. As always, remember that happiness is a skill and life is a team sport. Catch you next week.